when I decided that we'd make our way through Matthew and Romans, uh, it never crossed my mind that we would discover that as we're going through both of these sections of the New Testament week by week, uh, we would so regularly find common themes on the same Sunday, both from Matthew's Gospel and from Paul's letter to the church in Rome. But uh, I don't know whether uh, you have noticed that as as readily as I have, but it's just wonderful to me to see this wonderful harmony that exists across God's Word and to see how one portion of Scripture uh, enhances and confirms another as we're making our way through these two uh, books in the Bible. So we're in Romans chapter 10, and last week we, we looked at verses 9 to 13, that if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Wonderful, uh, assuring, certain truths, such certainty in these things that Paul writes. There's no doubt whatsoever uh, as he writes these things down or has them written down. And what we're going to consider this evening as we pick up from verse 13 and go through to verse 17 is that Paul really establishes for us God, God's means and God's message. God's means and God's message. For all who would come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the, these simple truths here are absolutely foundational. Becoming a Christian requires the sinner to call out to God for grace and for mercy and to call on Christ to put all of your hope and trust in Christ for your salvation by faith. Having been totally convinced that there is a need for this salvation which Christ has secured for sinners. And you'll notice that what Paul does is he begins with the final step, if you like, in the process, calling on Christ to be saved, and then works backwards through the process which gets them to that point where they do call out for mercy, they do call out for salvation, they do cry out to Christ. But what is it that gets them to that point? Well, Paul takes us backwards. How shall they call on him? In whom they haven't believed. How can they believe if they've never heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will there be a preacher if no preacher has been sent? So you see how he, he goes back through those stages. So we'll follow that order which Paul adopts in these verses. And we'll follow his instruction and we'll think about these things that he says. And there's nothing complicated here at all. It really is actually very, very simple. The thing for us is to, is to be convinced by it and to, and to grapple with it and to follow it. So the first thing is this. Calling on Christ because you believe. But the question is, 
believe what? Well, firstly, you have to believe the plain facts of the gospel. People call out to the Lord for salvation because they have become totally convinced of the message of the gospel. There are these truths that have been put to them and they've come to believe it. So you're not saved in some kind of intellectual vacuum. Faith is based upon truth that has been brought to you and put to you and you believe it that Christ died for my sins, that he was buried, that he was raised the third day, and all of that according to the Scriptures. And that little phrase that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 15 is really important, according to the Scriptures. Because according to the Scriptures necessitates that all of the whys and wherefores of the Gospel are already established and have long been established by God. And then those truths are brought to people's hearing and understanding. Who Christ is, from where he came, why he came, who sent him. Now, of course, we actually covered a lot of that this morning in Matthew, where Jesus himself talks about himself as the Son sent by the Father. But these things have to be believed. And Jesus talked in Matthew this morning about believing these things. You believe that the Father sent the Son. We read that in John's Gospel. So th there are these basic truths that have to be believed who Christ is, where he came from, why he came, who sent him, what was it he came to do? How does the Bible tell us to expect him to do what God sent him to do? Well, we turn to the Old Testament and it's all laid out for us there. No surprises. And, and what else do these things cover? Well, me in my sin, you in yours, the reality of that, the consequences of it what it actually produces in life in this world that's full of sin and wickedness and the judgment of it, which is certain. All of these things are according to the Scriptures. The New Testament isn't God saying, the Old Testament, wipe that, let's start again. No, not at all. Everything in the New Testament is the fulfilment and the completion of the Old Testament. And so the gospel, as it's revealed and explained in the Bible, and why, as a sinner, you and I need this gospel and this Lord Jesus, these things have to be believed. They have to be known. They have to be understood. They have to reach both heart, uh, mind and heart. All of those things bring people to the point where they realise and they understand that Christ is their only hope and they cry out to him as Lord and as Saviour.
Is that your testimony this evening? That you have called out to the Lord because of what you believe. And if you believe these things, but you've never called out to him, why would you not? And the gospel is presented in the Bible in such a way that uh, people are to be urged to be persuaded to the point where they respond and they make a decision. Of course, we have also seen and understood from chapter 8 of Romans that the, the presence and the work and the energies of the Holy Spirit are essential for all of these things to take place and for all of these things to happen and for all of these things to be produced in a sinner because these things are all spiritually understood and discerned and applied and we're dead in our sins. We need to be made alive. The Holy Spirit does that. These, these things are foolishness to us in our sins. We need to be brought to a place where the gospel is foolishness no longer, but we see it as, the, as being the wisdom and the power of God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But if believing is involved, if believing is, inquire, is required, you have to know what it is that you're believing in. Then you call upon him. So first of all, calling on Christ because you believe. And Paul is explaining, that is a, that is a very necessary part of salvation. And is there anyone here that would try to argue that that makes no sense. So people need to be brought to this place of belief. But then Paul asks a question secondly, but how can they believe in him? Because ultimately, that belief is all about Christ. Ultimately, all of that belief centres around the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you're not trusting in a set of beliefs. You're, you're trusting in Christ. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Believing in Christ because you have heard. Now, it is true that there is a sense in which you can hear the gospel by reading it. Nevertheless, by far the most common way in which people are brought to faith is by someone speaking to them, preaching to them about the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it may well be that in some people, God first arouses interest. God first brings certain promptings into their lives God first raises questions in people's minds and does that through all kinds of different means, all kinds of different circumstances and experiences that God can use to begin to arouse our interest and to begin to awaken us to spiritual things. 
And probably if we went around and talked to people, some of you could say, well, do you know, there was a time in my life and, and this happened or that happened. And, and I, even though I perhaps didn't understand it then, looking back now as a believer, I can tell God used that to first cause me to, to think about these things and, and to prepare me for the gospel. But for the very most part, those who come to faith in Christ do so because they hear the gospel preached. Now, there are many different settings in which that preaching can take place. But nevertheless, it was the gospel being declared to them. Now, I wonder, you don't have to put your hand up and tell me, but I'd be interested actually at some point if you could tell me the answer. Is there anyone here? who became a Christian having never heard the gospel preached. Now, if you are someone who became a Christian and you'd never heard the gospel preached, I'd be interested to hear your testimony, not to suggest that it's a false one or that it didn't happen or that it wasn't real. I have a suspicion no one's going to come to me. Because the normative thing that God uses is preaching. It's spoken declaration about the gospel. Because as we've mentioned before, preaching includes not just the relaying of the facts and the truths, but this urging and exhorting to do something with it. And that's to be expected because this is the means that God has laid down. Jesus wasn't a writer. Now, before you come to me later with a clever thing, yes, Christ is the author of his written word. I understand that through the work of his spirit. But in his 33 years, as he lived on this earth, in the body of a man, he wasn't a writer. He wasn't an author. Can anyone ever remember Jesus writing something down? Yeah. But it wasn't scripture. Well, it might have been, but it wasn't for us to read in the Bible. There was an occasion when he, he, he healed someone and he used his finger and wrote in the dust of the earth. Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah. We don't actually know what he wrote. We're just told that he did it. But Jesus wasn't an author. We don't have books that were penned by Jesus that we can read outside of the Bible. He was a preacher. He preached. He taught. He explained. He exhorted. He urged. He demanded responses from people. Now, yes, we see that God has given us his written word. But even with a Bible in your hands, the vast majority of Christians are brought to faith through this written word being preached and exhorted and explained. Jesus, on a Sabbath day, 
would attend synagogue. And as his reputation began to uh, get around, he would often be invited to stand in front of the congregation and to read from God's Word. And then he would preach and he would teach. Sometimes it got him into a lot of trouble because they didn't like his explanation of the Scriptures, which they had had completely wrong. Jesus isn't known for saying, he who has eyes to see, let him see. Although, doctrinally speaking, that would be a very legitimate thing to say because we are described as being blind in our sin. The, the Bible uses the picture of blindness to describe us in our sin, that, that God opens our blinded eyes in order that we might see in order that we might see and understand biblical truth. However, because Jesus was a preacher, and because belief comes through hearing, what you do find Jesus repeatedly saying is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him really hear. Let him understand. Let these words that are coming into your ears get into your mind and sink down into your heart. If you've got ears to hear, then listen. That's what Jesus frequently said because he was a preacher. The friends and loved ones of yours, colleagues who you work with, neighbours who you live alongside, if they are going to be saved, you and I need to take this on board. They need to hear the gospel. They cannot be left to invent their own plan of salvation. They cannot be left to invent their own supposed image as to who Christ is and how he saves people. They need to be told the truth of Christ that they might be saved. And so thirdly, Paul addresses this issue, this issue, hearing of Christ because a preacher was sent. God's primary means <coughs> of bringing sinners to salvation is through preaching. Preach. Now, in Greek, the word that is typically used is the word caruso. It means to herald. It means to announce. It means to proclaim. It means to declare. Uh, I've mentioned uh, Dr. Steve Lawson, a retired Baptist preacher. Well, he's still a preacher, but he's a retired pastor in the United States, uh, and, and he said, you know, God, God, being God, was free to decide what means he would use to take the gospel to people. He could have chosen to make the gospel known by writing it in the sky. He could have chosen to make the gospel known by dropping gospel leaflets from heaven he could have chosen to make the gospel known 
by sending legions of angels to tell us. After all, he sent angels to the shepherds on the night that Jesus was born. Why did he not carry on that method? Well, in God's infinite wisdom, God has appointed to do this gospel work through preachers, through weak human vessels. And the gospel is to be heralded, proclaimed, declared. So, many of you have heard this mentioned before. Uh, you can go into towns like Chester in the summer, and there they still have one appointed in the role of traditional town crier. And he's in all his red regalia, sometimes uh, with a loud bell, like the handbells. Uh, do they still use those in schools? They did when I was in school. Ringing the bell in the playground. Uh, a sound that, that travels distinct, stops people, makes them turn and look, draws the crowd. Hear ye! Hear ye! And then proceeds the deliverance of a very specific message. These are not going to be the thoughts and opinions of the town crier. The message is written, and they are going to declare what is written. He has a message to deliver. It's come from some civic official in the town or city. It maybe has come from the government. It maybe has come from the head of state. In years gone by, it would have come from the monarch. And the message has been written. And the message is declared and made known. So the message wasn't theirs. But they are the herald of the message. And they, and they declare it as it's written down. And it, all the people hear it. And Paul says here that these preachers need to be sent. They need to be sent. Now, of course, there, there is the sense in which every single Christian is a preacher. There is a sense in which all of us are called to herald the good news. Uh, there is uh, a duty pressed upon all of us that we will share with others and give them an account for the hope that is within us, and that we will speak to them of Christ. So there is a sense in which all of us are, are called and sent to be preachers. But then there are others who, in a very particular way, are sent as preachers. The preacher is sent. And we have a, an example of this in our Bibles in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 13. And here we read these words from the first verse of Acts 13. Now in the church that was at Antioch there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menane, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, that's Paul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now 
separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Men were identified and set aside as gospel preachers. Why did the church do that? What does Acts chapter 13 tell you? The Holy Spirit said, separate to me these men. It was a direct instruction from God to separate these men for preaching for the work to which I have called them. This wasn't their idea. This wasn't a man-made thing that we're following here. The Holy Spirit instructed them to do it. And we read that the Holy Spirit accompanied them and was with them. God is in gospel preaching. God is with gospel preachers in a very particular way. And it's thoroughly, thoroughly biblical. And yes, every Christian can and should speak of Christ. And we have the promise that by His Spirit, He will give you the words to say when you need to give an account for the hope that's in you. Sometimes, perhaps in difficult situations, sometimes, perhaps under duress and under oppression. But we also clearly see the setting of aside of those who will be giving themselves specifically to gospel preaching and gospel work. Men identified within the church, set aside, appointed by the church to preach, and the preacher is sent. Because this is how God spreads the gospel in this world. So how we need to pray earnestly, we've considered not long ago Jesus saying that the fields are white unto harvest and we need to pray for laborers to go out. That's preachers. So we need, let's pray earnestly that in the next few years there might be those in Belvedere Road Church upon whom God places this very particular calling that from amongst ourselves we will have the great joy and privilege of sending preachers out and of course, it's also the case that within the church, uh, preachers are appointed to preach within the church. They're not actually called to, to go to other places in the world to preach. Their calling is to stay right there in the church where they are and do the preaching there. Same thing, the principle is the same behind it all. And, and as an apostle called to preach, Paul once said, Woe is me if I do not preach! Necessity is laid upon me, Paul says. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that I must preach and preach Christ because he's been recognised and appointed and equipped and set aside for this very thing. The Persians were attacking Greece a messenger was sent to Sparta 
to ask for help. Sparta was 150 miles away. And the runner who took the message got there in two days, 150 miles. And having delivered the message, turned round and ran back, 300 miles. The Greeks won a great victory. That same runner was sent to Athens to advise of their victory. Off he went. This time only about 25 miles. He delivered his message. We are victorious. And then he collapsed and died. Exhausted. His name? Pheidippides. And where had he just run from where the battle had been won? Marathon. He was the original marathon runner. That's where we get the marathon race from. Pheidippides was the sent herald. On each occasion he had a very specific message. The preacher is such a herald, such an announcer of that which God has placed into our hands in his word as Christ crucified is preached. And what is God's estimation of such preachers? Well, there it is in verse 15. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That's from Isaiah chapter 52. How beautiful. Now, if I asked you uh, to think about an object which you considered to be a thing of great beauty, I'm not sure how many of you would come up with a pair of feet. There's a beauty competition taking place in heaven. Did you know that? Many years ago, if you went on holiday to a holiday camp, they'd hold beauty competitions uh, for the ladies. They would be around the swimming pool in swimming costumes. That's very non-PC nowadays, isn't it? Uh, for the men, it would be the knobbly knees competition. What about in heaven? It's the feet of those who run with the gospel. How beautiful are those feet. Why? Because of the work that they do. And because of the message that they carry. And because of the saviour they proclaim. How beautiful. For God, what beauty there is in the feet of those who take the gospel into the whole world. It's actually quite a wonderful way of looking at it, don't you think? People through them hear the most wonderful, the most needed, the most life-transforming life message that this world has ever known by means of preachers sent. 
But then in conclusion, a fourth point this evening with which we conclude, we also note in verses 16, particularly verse 16 and into verse 17, the gospel demands obedience unto faith. The gospel demands obedience unto faith. They have not all obeyed the gospel. The gospel is more than an offer, although it is that. And the gospel is more than an invitation, although it is that. But men and women are commanded to repent. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Back in the first chapter of Romans, at verse 5, we considered this. Through him, Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. And that's not simply obedience after you become a Christian. To put your faith in Christ as your saviour is itself an act of obedience upon which you enter a life of obedience because Jesus is both Lord and Christ. You don't become a Christian and then after becoming a Christian, take your first step of obedience. No, becoming a Christian, accepting the gospel, repenting of your sins, trusting in Christ by faith, as the gospel has commanded you to do, that is the first step of obedience, to hear the gospel and obey it. Because more than thinking about the gospel as something you choose to do. The gospel needs to be thought about as something that you obey. Yes, you've responded to the invitation to come to Christ, but it's more than that. It is to obey God's command to repent. Not to heed the gospel is actually an act of disobedience against God. They have not all obeyed the gospel. Lord, who has believed our report? And Isaiah, he says that at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 53, that great account of the sufferings and death of the Lord Jesus Christ. But even before Isaiah writes those words down, Isaiah knows there are going to be countless numbers of people who will never believe this. There are going to be countless numbers who will never accept this. There are going to be countless numbers who will reject this, and it is disobedience to reject the gospel. It's not just a bad choice. It is disobedience to reject Christ. This is another reason why the judgment that Paul speaks of at the end of chapter 9 is so great. That's why there are those woes which Christ pronounced on those towns that we, we've been reading about in Matthew. The plain fact is there will be many who disobey the gospel by remaining in unbelief. And so Paul has this great burden, Paul has this great sorrow over so many unsaved Jews which we saw at the beginning of chapter 9, 
but he does understand that this will be so. So many remain defiant in unbelief. And the Bible says it's disobedience. And it all boils down to faith. Verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, frequently, the the Greek word which gets translated into the word word in our Bibles is the word logos, the word written. But here, it isn't that word. It's not the Greek word logos that Paul uses. It's a different Greek word. It's the, the Greek word rhema. And that means the word spoken. Not the word written. The word spoken. So you could write, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the spoken word of God. By preaching. That's the word Paul uses. Faith comes by hearing the spoken word of God. How does God speak? Yes, through the Bible, but also through the preacher. I mentioned the other week, 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, sorry, chapter 5 and verse 20. As ambassadors of Christ, it's as though God is pleading through us. Be reconciled to God. God speaks. God pleads through the voice of his ambassador, through the voice of the herald. And it's not a question. Would you like to be reconciled to God today? It's much stronger than that. Be reconciled. It's a command. It's a strong urging and exhortation. You must be reconciled to God. It comes across as as You should do no other but to be reconciled to God. In Hebrews chapter 3 at verse 15, we read these words. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. It's Hebrews 3 from verse 15, verse 16. For who having heard, rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? They heard the voice of God, but they rebelled. They heard the voice of God, but they disobeyed. Will you hear his voice and not harden your heart? And We're actually back now where we began. You need to call on Christ and be saved and be reconciled to God. You need not to disobey the gospel message, but to obey it and receive it and to cry out to God for mercy and grace and salvation, to call upon the Savior that you might believe and be saved. It is outright disobedience if you don't. But it is forgiveness and it is salvation and it is fellowship with God forever and ever 
if you will heed his voice and trust in Christ and call out to him, if you've never done that before, you must do it today. God commands you, repent of your sins, have them forgiven, have them cleansed, have them washed, be renewed, be reconciled to God. If you never have, do it today.